0: Thank you to the choir for that wonderful, wonderful song. Um, Good morning. And uh, if I don't get a chance to say it to you uh, before Thursday, happy Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for, uh, both individually and as a church today. I'm particularly thankful to be bringing this word to you out of the Gospel of John. It's a beautiful story in Scripture that we get to read about this morning. So let's dive right in. John chapter four, starting in verse one. And let me take off my mask. I always forget that when I get up here. (laughs) Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husbands, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Today, I want to talk about two characteristics that we see in Jesus between this woman. They are true for this woman, and they are also true for us. One is that Jesus is divinely multipurposeful. And the second is that Jesus is relentless in relationship. But Jesus is divine in purpose, meaning that his ways are beyond our ways. Every single move that he makes has a purpose beyond what we can possibly imagine. That any time that Jesus does anything, it is supremely good and nothing is an accident. I believe that Jesus' meeting with this Samaritan woman was by no means an accident. It wasn't just some happenstance that we get to read about this moment 2,000 years later. It was Jesus' mission, and it was His divine purpose to meet this woman, to confront her in her sin, and to show her the grace upon grace that is only found in the person that is Jesus. So why do I say this? Why do I say that Jesus absolutely meant to be here at this moment? There are two reasons that I believe the the text indicates this. Number one, Jesus is at the well in the middle of the day. When the text says that he was here at the sixth hour, this means the middle of the day. Now, no one would be at the well here in the middle of the day in this region unless it was for a specific purpose. It is extremely hot. So the women who would go out to draw water from the well for their households would go in the morning. They would try and avoid the extreme heat of the day. So why was this Samaritan woman here? First, we have to determine that. The woman was likely here in the middle of the day because she was a social outcast. She was obviously known in her village. She was known for having multiple husbands and for being with a man who was not her husband. And she was likely outcast and abused by her own people. So, why would Jesus be here? It would seem from the whole interaction that uh, Jesus meant for this to take place. Jesus wanted to meet this woman. He had to meet this woman. And we see one of the first indications here that salvation has come for everyone. It was here for all. The second reason that I believe Jesus absolutely meant to be here in this exact place in this exact time is from a phrase earlier in the scripture where Jesus is departing from Judea to head back to Galilee. The text here in verse 4 says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Jesus said, I got to go to Samaria. Now, when we look at a map, and can you pull that up for me? We might be tempted to say that this is purely geographical. Samaria is right between Judea and Galilee, so without understanding the cultural context of the time, we might be tempted to say, okay, had you meant, okay, it's the direct route, but no good Jew would pass through Samaria. No good Jew would pass through Samaria. The Samaritans were considered unclean group of people, and we'll talk about that more later, but you would not go through Samaria at all if you could possibly avoid it, or unless you had a very specific reason. If you were uh, going another route, you'd either take the Mediterranean Sea, you would go around, which was admittedly long, or you would take the Transjordan route, crossing the Jordan River, going along the outside to specifically avoid Samaria, to the Decapolis, and then crossing back into Galilee. So I would suggest here, based on what we know of this culture of exclusion of Samaritans, that when Jesus says he has to go, he is not speaking geographically, but because he absolutely had a set purpose in going to Samaria. Had to meant I've got an appointment and I've got to keep it. And I think this is warranted because of the interaction. I mean, Jesus knew everything about this woman. He read her heart completely. He knows her whole life. And, and why would we think he only knows that when he sees her? As if it's, okay, he, he can know my heart as soon as he sees the whites of my eyes. No. Jesus knew this woman long before he ever saw her. Before he ever got to Sychar, he knew her. Now, I don't know if either of these reasons are specifically what Jesus had on his heart when he said he had to go to Samaria, but they are suggestions of what may have been going on and to tell you that Jesus is not being moved around by any forces other than the will of the father. He is not being controlled or moved around. It's not the Pharisees, as we read in the first two ch- uh, verses where it talks about the tensions between the Pharisees and his disciples, that he's not being forced around by the Pharisees. He is not afraid to confront them. We already know this from multiple passages in scriptures. And he is not being controlled by geography. He is doing what he is doing because it is the Father who has given all things into his hands. And he is being gracious. It was gracious when Jesus began his ministry when he did. It was gracious when he went to the cross when he did, not sooner, not later. And it was gracious that he kept this appointment in Samaria. It was gracious when he confronted this woman. His leaving Judea and heading through Samaria was purposeful. Remember when Pilate was talking to Jesus and he says, Don't you know that I have the power to let you live or to kill you? And Jesus says, You have no authority over me except that which has been given to you from above. Our Savior is always in control, He is always sovereign. And he is always. There are purposes beyond what you can possibly imagine. And his purposes are gracious for those that trust him. For we know that all things work for good for those that love God. We've named a couple of purposes of here, but there were are thousands, millions of purposes for going through Samaria to head to Galilee. Your Savior is sovereign. He laid down his life by his own sovereign power. And anytime time he does anything, he's doing 50 million things that you know nothing about and that all carry the weight and purpose of eternity. You may know one or three, maybe five. But he is doing five billion things stretching on to eternity. We have a God on our side that sees the ripple effect from every bumping molecule forever. He moves something in my life. He's got a million reasons why, and he may show me one or none. And he had purposes that we could never possibly see the impact of in going to Samaria. But he is graciously purposeful in leaving Judea and heading for Galilee through Samaria. He was determined to fulfill his Father's will in pursuing this woman. We see the beginning of reconciliation for all parts of the earth. Secondly, we see that Jesus is relentless in relationship. As this woman tries to dodge, Jesus questions and offers... We see that he will stop at nothing to break down the walls and barriers that this woman is either allowing to be built around her or that she is building herself. We've already talked about the separation between Jews and Samaritans, but you need to understand this in in greater context. The Samaritans are despised by the Jews. When the Assyrians conquered Samaria, uh, at the time, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, They deported many of the Israelites. They carried them off into slavery. But there were some that were left, and they intermarried with the Assyrian conquerors. And then, years later, when the Israelites came back, they considered them racially impure. It was racism. They were half Israelite, half Assyrian. Also, They only took the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and then they added other religions on top of that, so they were uh, racially despised. They were considered heretical and traitors to Israel. To understand this, I want to paint a picture that I think is helpful to compare to something more recent in our own history. We are still... Fighting to break down barriers of our own creation, to demean and separate human beings. But 70 years ago, we had a particularly humiliating, horrifying form of dehumanizing human beings made in God's image. Imagine you come to a store, and you see two water fountains, And above one water fountain, there's a sign, and it says white. And above the other drinking fountain, there's another sign, and it says colored. And if you're a person of color in America, you do not drink from that other drinking fountain for fear of your very life. And if you're white, you do not drink from that other drinking fountain, either from your own bigotry or from fear of retribution of what would happen to you if you did, if you cross that line. We built an entire plumbing system devoted to demeaning, dehumanizing, and separating people. That's what's going on here. It's the same kind of tensions that are going on. Now imagine a, woman, a black woman comes and fills a bottle from the fountain, and a man is leaning up against the wall beside the drinking fountain. And he doesn't say anything until she's filled her bottle. But then in front of the store, in front of everyone to see, says, can I have a drink from your water bottle? Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the table. who was the six, beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw her water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? He goes through Samaria when he's not supposed to. And Jesus sent his disciples away to buy food. He didn't have to send all of them. He sat on the well completely and totally unavoidable. And he asked this woman who was considered unclean, impure, heretical, and disreputable within her own people, not for permission from a drink from the well, but for a drink from her bucket, A drink from her water bottle. Anyone would be shocked. It wouldn't make sense to this woman. It wouldn't make sense that that he is breaking down all societal barriers meant to degrade her, but rather reaching out to show grace. She's confused. How is it that you're doing this? It doesn't make sense. Jews don't have common use of things with Samaritans. Jesus is relentlessly relational. He will not let this woman go. He will not let hundreds of years of separation and segregation stop him. He will not let this woman's sin keep him from showing grace. He knows that this woman had had five husbands. He knows that the man that she's living with is not her husband. He knows this woman. And he wants her worship. He's seeking her worship. Verse 23 True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What do you think he meant there? He's seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking her. He wants her worship. He didn't have to do this, but he does, he engages. He breaks down the barriers between himself and this woman and is relentless in doing so. And we see her surprise. Often this text is used for evangelism purposes. And I'm excited not to do that in the sense that uh, the application sometimes becomes, be like Jesus. I don't want to do that because we're not, We're the woman. We're not not Jesus. We're the woman. Lost in sin. We're not Jesus. We need Jesus. We need the living water that only He can offer. He breaks down barriers. He sought to be alone. He sat on the well. He spoke to a woman. He spoke to a Samaritan. He spoke to an adulteress. He asked for a drink from her water bottle. And this is the same for us. He will not let us go. He pursues and pursues. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness, we have received, we bitter, critical, angry, fearful, lustful, unrelational, we have all received the grace of living water. It is offered to all. Maybe you're the one who built barriers between you and others. Maybe you're the one who separated yourself, condemned, criticized, not pursued. Or maybe you're the one who's been pushed aside, forced to drink from the other well, made to go in the middle of the day to avoid condemnation and shame. Maybe you've been hurt, abused. Either way, at this moment and at all moments, God is pursuing you. Maybe you thought you came today for another reason, but God is at this moment and at all moments reaching out to you, extending His love his mercy, his grace to you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. After this, the woman does something remarkable. She goes back into the town and the text says, she goes to the people and says to them, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to them. And then in verse 42 it says that many more believed because of his word. Why do I say this is remarkable? She was at the Well, in the middle of the day, to avoid everybody in the town. And now she's turning around and she's going after them. Christ did something remarkable for her, and she is going to share that with everybody in the town. So this becomes the application. Because if you've accepted this gift, as many of you have, the call for us is to do the same for others. We no longer have to feel shame because of what Christ has done. We no longer have to be afraid to talk to people. We no longer have to avoid for abuse and condemnation because we've already been given this grace. And so we can now go out and pursue the people who we were avoiding who are abusing us. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus. To break down barriers, to bring news to others of the grace of living water. And we have just such an opportunity to. we have an opportunity to bring this fresh water well to a village in Chad. And in meeting this physical need that will literally save lives through clean water, we'll be showing the grace of living water to people who desperately need it. So I hope you stick around today for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We ask for the sake of your glory and our joy that you would satisfy the thirst through living water. That those who have not yet tasted your living water would experience the joy of knowing complete and total satisfaction in you. We cannot make this happen. Only you can make it happen. So we ask that you would do it in Jesus' gracious and powerful name. Amen.